Blog Talk Radio. talk to somebody about writing something original. Anyway, hi. Desperate House, which is not a GPG or even an R-rated show, so if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind, or anything else I might say might offend you, this may not be the show for you, but I'm hoping you're going to stick around anyway because today's guest is magnifique. Desperate House, which is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredibly wicked one herself, Dorothy Morrison. Check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com. Dorothy is currently selling her amazing 2021 house blessing ornaments. You hang them over your doorways, and they are purchasable in single units, but you know me, all balls need to come in pairs. So check out wickedwitchstudios.com, and if you need that shipped overseas, please check out theangrycauldron.com. They do all of Dorothy's international shipping, and they have their own line of goods as well. So for the rest of the hour, Thorn Mooney joins me. Hey, Thorn. Yay. Hello, Raina. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's really great to hear from you. How have you been doing? I haven't talked to you since before the pandemic. I've been doing really well. Uh, I think that my husband and I are a lot luckier than most folks. Our job translated really well to work from home, and that actually has been much better for our mental health than going into an office. Mm -hmm. So despite all of the awfulness of this year, he and I have been kind of ensconced in our home life, which has been really lovely. So we're doing okay, just kind of trying to help support our friends who are doing less so. Um, but we're yeah. we're okay. No complaints here. That's great. Do you foresee, like, when things start to lift pandemic-wise, that you'll be going, that you'll both be going back to your offices, or do you think you oh, you're going to continue no. the theme and work from home? Oh, okay. Hell no. <laughs> I've already told my boss that I am not coming back. Like, I 100% will quit. I 100% will find a new job. I'm hoping that one of the positives that can come out of this whole experience for everybody is that we're a lot more flexible about working environments. Cause like for me, mm-hmm. um, like the experience of working in either a university setting or an office setting, when you have anxiety, um, I have a PTSD diagnosis. So like there are lots of things about mm-hmm. being in offices that are very difficult. I think for folks who are neurodivergent, who have other kinds, who have like mental yeah. health issues, So to me, like, Mm -hmm. I've struggled with work culture for my entire adult life. And for so long, I thought it was just me. And to realize that Uh working from home, which was never a possibility before, um, my productivity has gone up and my mental health has actually been a lot better. I mean, obviously, like, practically, there are things that are difficult. And I certainly don't wish this year on anybody, nor do I wish it to continue. Um, But just from that perspective alone, 
it's actually been a big improvement in our work lives. We're both also very introverted, which is a difference. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm not going back. Like, I will find something else. <laughs> yeah, you know, I really, I'm kind of a little jealous. I'm able to work from home in the regard that I can do my job from home. But the environment that I'm in, um, they prefer that we be present. I don't know if that's going to continue as things get worse because I do think they're going to get a bit worse before they get better. Um, But as somebody who also has, like, you know, certain mental health issues that I'm dealing with, yeah, I could see how being home would definitely be helpful. You know, I have certain, like, noise anxieties, if that makes sense. Certain Me sounds too. like um, yeah, so I I'm, I deal with that too, you know. Um, so yeah, I I I'm with you on that. So I'm I'm still trying to deal with it. I have my son has uh, misophonia, um, loud noises, banging noises, and he works works in a factory. So it's kind of like he's really dealing with it. Yeah, it's rough, but he's dealing with it, and he's on meds right now, and they seem to be helping. So I'm kind of grateful. Um, but my stuff isn't extreme enough for me. Well, I actually, it kind of is. My doctor did put me on some uh, anti-anxiety stuff, but it's really more for my migraines. The, the anti-anxiety uh, benefits just happen to go along with it. So I'm dealing okay, you know. I mean, it's it's something that I think we don't really talk about and that needs to be talked about more, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, oh, yeah. I'm really, you know, I came from a world where mental health issues were stigmatized. You know, I had a father who was bipolar before they knew what that was. They used to describe him as just being a nervous person. But, no, he had incredibly dangerous mood swings. He was very violent. And um, I wish we had known more about it. We could have perhaps gotten him some help. But, yeah, I mean, I think mental health is a really big deal, especially, you know, going through this pandemic, you know, a lot of people have had all kinds of anxiety issues, and um, I, I really think it should be destigmatized and that we should be able to just talk about it because I think we all have something, you know. Sure, and I hope that I hope that we can come out of this situation with an understanding that maybe our work environments can be more flexible than they have been. Mm-hmm. So, like in my situation, mm-hmm. we were told for ages that it was impossible to do our jobs at home. And it turns out that productivity has actually gone up. Um, so I think sometimes maybe we just, we just don't allow for difference because we can't conceive of it. So I'm hoping that we'll, yeah. we will see work environments where we can be accommodating to different types of people. I, I hope that if, if anything positive can come out of this, that's one of those things. I agree. So a lot of folks that I've talked to have been saying that they've been even more busy during the pandemic, even though a lot of things got canceled, a lot of in-person events. What's been going on in your life? Um, I don't know if I'm more busy. I think maybe I'm busy in a different way. Um, so having, I know for, for a lot of authors, Um, especially pagan authors where, you know, we're talking about, like even Llewellyn and Weiser, we think of them as kind of these big names, but they're very small publishers in the grand scheme of publishing. And a lot of, well, all of the authors are really responsible for doing a lot of the marketing themselves. Like 
you have to kind of bring your own game to the table in terms of promoting your writing. And even once you have the book on the market, it's on the shelves, odds are you've been on the internet for years before that doing other things as a blogger, as a YouTuber, uh, maybe you've been self-publishing. Like most of the folks that I know who are now writing, who, who are on the festival circuit, they've been around for years. It's just that now kind of mm -hmm. folks are hearing about it more generally. So I think increasingly we're just having to emphasize that online activity. So I like to go yeah. to pagan festivals. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, you've seen me there more and more as a speaker. But years before that, yeah. I've been an attendee, and even now I'm an attendee. Um, I, I use my mundane name to register, and I go to most everything. Um, and That's awesome. Yeah, like it's, it's really great. Um, but now that those things aren't happening, um, you kind of have to get creative about promoting your writing in other spheres. Thankfully, I think most of us already have practice online, you know, working through blogs or, again, like other platforms like YouTube, and getting creative with online events, um, kind of like what we were talking yeah. about with office environments. I really hope that one of the positives that comes out of this really shitty year is that we see more and more online events because it's so much easier to be accessible and inclusive online. I mean, pagan festivals are expensive. Yeah. All, of, all of them are they expensive. Are. And some of them are extraordinarily yeah. expensive. So, like, I, I found, I mean, I've been going to pagan events for more than a decade. And, like, I work a nice, like, middle-class, nine-to-five stable job. So, like, I have the expendable income, the luxury of being able to take a long weekend off and travel to Atlanta for Mystic South or travel to San Jose for Pantheacon or whatever. And, like, you have to right. budget for those things. But what I find is that it's pretty much the same people at all of those events because it's the people who have that expendable income. So it decreases yes. the amount of variety in presenters, the variety in the audience. And that's not, you know, the organizer's fault. That's just what happens when you do things in person that involve hotel rentals, right? Sure. Um, Absolutely. Having things online where, okay, you no longer have to budget for travel, hotel, and food. All you have to do now is pay entry. Um, that makes it a lot more accessible for people who don't have as much money. And I'm seeing that with that shift to online, I'm seeing different voices, um, both in terms of presenters, mm -hmm. because a lot of pagan authors, you know what, they can't afford to go to the festivals either. So here's an opportunity to right. hear voices that other folks never get to hear. Um, so I think that's really exciting. I hope that we will continue to see online events, and I hope that in-person events will add online components. Because um, I think mm -hmm. we, we sometimes don't realize that we create these bubbles, these pockets in the pagan community where, like, folks who are involved in in-person events who go to conferences and festivals, like, they kind of speak and interact with people in that same sphere and ignore what else might be happening in other spheres because there's no crossover. So this to me seems like a really great opportunity and I hope to see more of that. I agree. I was actually able to, you know, visit circles. I was invited to a New York circle, for example, that, you know, just to visit with folks has been lovely. You know, people I would love to be able to travel to see, but like you said, it, you know, maybe it wasn't in the budget 
but I actually got to see them. So there's been a lot of things I've been able to attend that I would not have been able to attend had it been a normal quote unquote year. So I agree with you. And I hope that the online presence for festivals continues and maybe even grows, you know, in addition to in-person Uh, I think it's all valid and important and, you know, it does mix up who you get to see because maybe you can only go to three things as opposed to six things, you know, so you do three online and you do three in person, you know, and I think it just gives folks a great way to check out more, more authors, more information, more classes. I think it's been one of the brighter spots of this really shit year. It's been oh shit. yeah, you get that. You get to kind of go international too, um, seeing folks from places in the world, presenters that you would never yeah. see. Because it's one thing to like have to fly from Carolina to California. It's another thing to have to fly from like Australia, right? So like, yeah. there there are pagans, there are witches all over the world, um, but we're so, sure. you know, United States centric. There's got to be a better word for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great getting that exposure to other voices and the internet is really just this magical space and this magical tool. Um, And like you were mentioning, getting to go to a circle, I think this is really pushing people in their ritual game. So like, obviously I'm, I'm a gardenerian. I, you know, we have, we have kind of the traditional coven structure and there's this emphasis on in person and it's very difficult to translate that into another medium. But when the choice is do you just not practice witchcraft or do you find a way to work with what you have in the shitty circumstances? And, you know, I hope people are choosing the latter and I think it's forcing people to reconsider like what does ritual do? How does it work? How can we build significant, meaningful experiences for people with this new set of tools? And I'm not saying that I've been successful. I don't think I have been. Okay. Um, But I have seen really cool things other folks and I think that again like here's a toolbox that we have that maybe we didn't a year ago yeah it's it's great it's it's you know everything is not going to work and it's certainly not all going to work the first time there's things that are going to have to be fine-tuned especially when you have a very specific you know group with very specific members as opposed to you know, some of the open things I'm invited to, which are really lovely because I I think that pagans do need time with the tribe, you know, whichever tribe it mm-hmm. is. You, we're not, we're solitary, but we're not so solitary that we want to forego all contact with our own kind, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, as things continue, you know, we're hoping for a vaccine this coming year, but even before and after that happens, I think accessibility and inclusiveness are really important things. And I'm glad you mentioned them because we still find that a lot of folks are closed off and and semi-isolated. So I'm hoping that those things are expanded upon, you know, and certainly information sharing is something we need to do more of. Speaking of information sharing, um, so here, Tell, you're working on a new book. Yes, it is written. Um, it's been yeah. through. It's been through its first round of edits. Um, I'm hoping that I will have a cover here in the next 
couple of months. I've seen kind of some mock-ups. It's looking good so far. Um, it's called okay. The Witch's Path, Advancing Your Craft at Every Level. And I'm really excited nice. about it because I just think it does something that hasn't been done in popular pagan publishing before, where um, I'm really using my background as a classroom teacher to look at some of the larger facets of not Wicca, but witchcraft as a whole. I really wanted to write somebody that was something that was applicable to everybody, regardless of if they're from a particular tradition, if they're if they define themselves as secular or eclectic or whatever, I wanted to kind of speak to everybody. Um, so I'm looking at some of these yeah. larger facets that I feel are common to witchcraft traditions as a whole. So, for example, the concept of sacred space or the emphasis yeah. on study or building a personal practice or group participation in community, um, magic and ritual, larger things that tend to be facets of all of our traditions. Um, and I'm right. breaking down these topics in such a way to help readers get off plateaus, regardless of where they are yeah. in their practice. So I wanted to write something mm -hmm. that was something that would encourage beginners, for example, who feel really overwhelmed. There's a lot of shit out there to read, right? And they say different things, and it's like, yeah. oh, don't read this, or absolutely, you have to read this, or if you don't have these tools, you're not a real witch, or whatever. Like, I wanted to speak to those folks and get them to a place yeah. where, okay, like information overload to actually practicing witchcraft meaningfully. But I also wanted yeah. to write to coven leaders who are dealing with burnout, um, and also yeah. to like armchair witches who they've read everything, they've seen it all, they're online complaining about how there aren't advanced books or like every book is the same, um, but they're not actually maybe be like practicing as meaningfully as they wanted to. And I think yeah. my working theory is that we fix this by looking at our foundations and reapproaching our foundations in ways that are useful. So I've differentiated each subject based on a kind of like reading level, like practice level. Where are you in your practice? Here's some stuff for you that will help you take things to the next level. Um, and I'm, I'm pumped about it. I was really writing kind of for myself, like as a coven leader, as somebody who's been involved in the community for a long time, who was going through a pretty intense period of burnout. Um, you know, we don't talk so much about kind of the disenchantment that can happen, especially when you have you know, like community drama or just like feeling exhausted running a group or an event or something like that. Um, and I was really writing for myself. <laughs> so it well, took a long time to write. I've, because tell of that. You, I've been hearing a lot and, and, and this is pretty appropriate because almost everyone I've spoken to privately has said to me, why do I feel so disconnected from my practice? Is it yeah. just COVID? Is it just, um, I don't think I'm bored. I think I'm distracted because of, like, all the crazy news that comes out. And I think it's thrown a lot of people way off kilter. And oh, yeah. the, the mental burnout has been a really heavy topic this year. I Like, everyone, including myself, I'm like, why, you know, I, I've been practicing for over 40 some odd years why am i feeling 
so disconnected from my deities, you know, and it's just, if you have something that helps us get back in, we're grateful because a lot of folks are suffering with that, you know. Well, and you know what? You might be bored. (laughs) So, like, I I write about boredom. Yes. Like, I think you there is like we do stagnate as practitioners for all kinds of reasons, whether because like something in our personal, like mundane lives happens that threw us off our game, like COVID or whatever, or disillusionment. This is something that I've run into personally. And basically everybody I know has too. Like when you, especially if you practice as a solitary, like you get started and it's beautiful and amazing and your life has changed and whatever. And then you get, get out into a wider community and somebody's an asshole to you. Or, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't what you expected it would be or something. And that kind of, right. it kind of taints your experience a little bit. So I talk about that. Um, and also just like that feeling of never being good enough, imposter syndrome. Like, is my practice yeah. even good enough? Should I even be pursuing this? Maybe I'm not a real witch. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Like, those are things yep. that everybody deals with. And if they tell you that they don't, I'm sorry, they're lying. <laughs> like, like yeah, I, that's no, just I, a I thing that we go through. Um, so I it wanted really to is. write. I wanted to write something that was both encouraging but also really practical. Like here are some things that you can physically put the book down and go do, whether you are a coven leader or you're just a bored, you know, intermediate or experienced practitioner, or you're a beginner who doesn't know where to start. Like I assume some things. Like I assume that, you know, you you know, like some basic jargon you've probably read at least you know a 101 book at some point or you know you've had your tiktok feed is full of witch videos or whatever like it's not a how-to witchcraft book explicitly um right it's more like a lot of my exercises are kind of um i don't want to say mundane they're not but like they're practical they're pragmatic i'm not telling you to run off into the woods with expensive tools and like memorize a long invocation there's nothing like that um, right. So I, I hope that people will benefit from it. I got a lot out of writing it. I'm really proud of this one in a way. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of traditional Wicca too, but this yes. book to me was an emotional exercise in the way that traditional Wicca wasn't. And I think that it can huh. serve more people. Yeah. And, you know, and I loved your first book. It was great. And as a gardenerian myself, I certainly appreciated it. I felt completely seen and called out at the same time. I told you that then. <laughs> um, but it's true. I mean, and I value that. I don't want someone who pats me on the head and says, oh, good girl, you've followed all the tenets you know where you see bullshit you call it out that's one of the greatest things about you uh, that I respect you you've never to my knowledge never told a lie in you know when it comes to the practice or you know anything like that having yeah I mean I love the fact that you well and and you're very straightforward and I think you know I don't think especially as a woman or a person, when you call shit out, people tend to go, and I'm like, no, call the shit out. Say what the fuck it is. You know? So I'm very appreciative of you just for the fact that you don't sugarcoat shit and try to make it shiny and pretty when it's just bullshit, you know? And that's hard to find. A lot of people don't do that. 
it's a hard line to walk between like I think we have this idea that like something is either like really sugary and encouraging or else it's critical and mean and like those yeah. are not exclusive things and I, I don't think that that's like a helpful dichotomy even though it's the one that I think people rely on online like you can have a spicy mm-hmm. hot take okay but you can present it in such a way that you're actually being of service to people instead of just being an asshole. So my perspective is like, I can be critical about something, but I also have to offer a solution because if you're just going to bitch about something like that's fine, but wouldn't it be better to offer an alternative? So that's, that's my perspective. I try to take when I'm writing. Um, And my goal is always, like whatever kind of craft you're practicing and however you feel about it and wherever you are in that practice, my ultimate objective is to offer something that is first useful and also encouraging. Um, Just because I think we also don't talk enough about how much we change through our practices of witchcraft. Like you might come in and start in one arena and end up in some, somewhere completely different in 10 years. You know, like you, I think if yeah. you're really practicing effectively, you change and you grow and, you know, you, maybe you end up in surprising places and isn't it more helpful to allow for that possibility? So why not encourage each other? Well, you know, and I agree with that, of course, but I, I still see a lot of gatekeeping and, you know, stick to this one thing and don't get outside of your lane. And, and it's really kind of bullshit because it hampers growth just as a human certainly as witch or anybody in any kind of spiritual practice, go see what else is out there. You know, I have friends who started off Gardnerian and, you know, went and studied Alexandrianism. So it's like, and other things too. I mean, there's, there's so many different things out there. If you limit yourself like that, you know, there's a point where I think you stop growing as a person anyway, but who the hell wants to stop growing in their spiritual practice? It's tricky. There's a line there too, right? Because like like fundamentally, I agree with you. I think that another side of that, that I I see a lot online, uh, especially when people talk about gatekeeping, kind of collectively, none of of us like the idea that something is going to be difficult or will take us a long time to see the benefits of. So like (laughs) as gardeners, like I think, I think that's kind of a good working example. Like, there's lots of folks out there who, you know, they read Scott Cunningham or they read Silver Ravenwolf or Buckland, especially back in the nineties. And they decided that for whatever reason, they decided that Wicca was shallow. And I mean, I see Wicca called beginner witchcraft all the time, even now. And they decided Uh it's shallow. And I don't believe that that's because of any inherent problems in Wicca. I believe it's because those people aren't, giving Wicca a fair shake by working the system the way it's supposed to be worked, right? Like it's a very different experience to go to Barnes and Noble and read Scott Cunningham than it is to be initiated into a traditional coven. Like those are, and I'm not saying that one is more valid than the other or that the former experience is bad and we shouldn't pursue it. I'm saying that these are different experiences and you can't throw away an entire religion because of, Mm -hmm the most cursory experience of it. So on the one hand, you want to explore widely. On the other hand, you want to explore seriously and exploring seriously means working through difficult stuff. 
Yeah, I think if you take anything seriously, there's going to be, I mean, if it's that damn smooth, everybody would do it and do it poorly. And I know that people don't like challenges. And that's unfortunate because that's how growth occurs. You know, that's how lessons are learned. You've got to make some mistakes somewhere along the line. And if things were just handed to you, well, then everybody could walk around and say they're doing it, you know. I like to tell people to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Are you kidding? I'm uncomfortable now, like daily, (laughs) because I know there's other, well, because I know that I've stagnated, especially this year. You know, a lot of shit happened, a lot of things, you know, that were hidden were revealed, and it was, it's been a very uncomfortable year. Um, So, you know, I'm still working through a lot of shit, still waiting to get to the, the growing part of it where I'm like, okay, this is what I had to learn. I'm still in the process of learning some things this year um, that made me uncomfortable. But, you know, you have to deal with what you have to deal with. Otherwise, you don't move ahead. But, yeah. You've got to give yourself some really grace, neglectful. though, too, right? Like, it's well, a, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a COVID extent. year, right? Like, we're all, yeah. we're all stagnating. We're all hitting pause. And I think, like, you gotta you got to kind of cut yourself some slack there. I think we all do. Um, just because I think at the beginning of the year or, you know, back in March when I think folks only thought it was going to be a few weeks, there was this idea that we were all going to like join Duolingo and learn French and then write novels or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That didn't happen, everybody. (laughs) And that's fine. That doesn't make you lazy. That makes you living through, you know, a global trauma. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder what the trauma is going to be like after things start to heal. Because the the thing I've noticed is that so many folks have changed certain aspects of their lives and their practices and how they practice with, you know, their covens and, and their, you know, other members of different groups. And there's been, so you know, I've seen folks do it through social distancing. I've seen a lot of stuff on Zoom. And I'm just wondering how traumatized, we are that we're not even aware of yet, like the fallout from once things start to go back to quote unquote normal. And I'm just, you know, like I'm already seeing some folks be like, I'm not touching that vaccine. It's not been proven, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow. Um, okay. So there's, there's so many other levels that we still have to go through before we can actually act anywhere near the way we did. I mean, I'm very huggy. I love hugging my friends, especially when I've missed them for now two years instead of one. So it's going to be interesting to see how people handle each other, handle, you know, the vaccine, and then move forward from that. Do you have any particular feelings about where that might go? Or or do you have any particular feelings about the vaccine for yourself? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped. I'll try anything at this point as far as vaccines go. I've, I've always, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I trust I'm words, right. Um, I work <laughs> in medical publishing, so I've been reading about the vaccine all year, um, and publishing a lot of that research and, you know, like I see what kind of work has gone into this and that's something that I trust. So I'm on board. Let's go stick me. You just tell me when and where. Um, yeah, I think you're right that we're going to see the results. I mean, like trauma, I think trauma is an appropriate word here. And I think 
trauma plays out over years. It plays out over lifetimes. And I do think that we will see the impact of this experience playing out probably in very unexpected ways in the coming year. I think your example about hugging and like how we approach each other, you know, at events, mm-hmm. folks we haven't seen, strangers, I think we'll see changes there. I I actually hope that we make masks a regular part of life, a normal part of life, um, <laughs> because I think, you know, that's that's safer for a lot of folks. Um, and applies to preventing a number of diseases. Um, and that's sure. something that you see in other parts of the world um, where masks are, are just are very common. Uh, so I hope that we see that. I also think that they're kind of cute, like as far as fashion goes. Like it's been kind of cool seeing folks get creative and sewing and making, you know, art out of, out of the ordeal. Um, but yeah. I think we're going to see it in terms of how people budget and deal with finances and money in the future, how people think about jobs, what does it mean to be essential, um, what kinds of jobs are valuable, where can we cut things. Um, I think we're going to yeah. see the impact in education because all of this has, I think, revealed how limiting ed- our education systems are, right? Like, I mean, as a classroom yeah. teacher, like, you can see right off the bat, like, you know that there's disparity in the classroom that's rooted in classism and racism. Um, And having everything online is forcing more people to look at it. So like teachers have known that's been there the whole time, but now everybody can see it. And I'm hoping that that will drive people to making changes in our education system. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I I think we're going to see, we're going to see the impact of this, I think for the rest of our lives. So, I, I mean, I can't anticipate what that will be, but right here we go. We don't like, <laughs> well, what I'm noticing with folks with, like, school-aged kids who would normally be in a classroom and, you know, a lot of teenagers, some college for having a real struggle um, maintaining their focus when they're home, it's kind of like we're so used to being in these, you know, physical structures for this particular thing or that particular thing. And now that home is becoming where everything happens, I think a lot of folks are having trouble. While it's been great work-wise for a lot of people, there are a lot of people that I've seen who are actually failing at doing things remotely. Um, And I wonder what the impact of that is going to be, especially on the education system when you have kids that, are obviously struggling, obviously in trouble, you know, part of the school year is already over. I mean, is it going to be a forgiveness type thing to move on to the next grade or are are grades going to have to be doubled up to incorporate stuff that might have been missed? I mean, you're an educator, so, you know, I don't have any information on that. I was wondering about your opinion on it. <laughs> what I What I actually think will happen is – and. I haven't been following this super closely in terms of like what research is revealing this year, um, but just kind of based on other disparities in the classroom, what I see over and over again is that children from wealthier backgrounds who have invested parents in term, who have parents who can spend time with them, they will continue to succeed. Students who were getting A's who have, you know, mom reads to them every night and checks their homework and, you know, like those kids continue to do well. Whereas the kids mm-hmm. who have been living in shelters, the kids who don't have stable home lives, the kids who don't have homes, 
those kids are falling even right. further behind. Where school might have been a refuge, where you know yeah. if they were kind of borderline, um, at least they could mm-hmm. go to school and their teacher was supportive and they had a safe place to do their work, etc. Those are the kids who are being impacted the hardest, and those kids have always been left behind. And it's going to, I think it's going to take some serious overhaul in order to address those disparities. And I think the reality is, is that until it's bad enough that rich people are hurting, it's not going to get fixed. So what I'm afraid of is those kids are going to be, they're going to be left behind. And, you know, the the wealthier kids who you know, they can kind of muddle through and they can move on to the the next grade and it'll be okay and maybe things will kind of suck for a little while, but they catch up. But other kids, I think it's yeah. going to affect their whole lives. Um, so I don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of a burn it down, eat the rich person right now. So like, especially yeah. when it comes to education, that. like if you want to, if you want to talk about racism and class disparity, the American classroom is like, there it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm a pessimist here, but I think yeah. that it needs to get a lot worse before people pick up their pitchforks. Um, and until the rich are hurting, it it's not going to change. It really sucks that it has to get to that fucking point. I mean, you would think, you know, we've all kind of been in this pandemic thing together, and I mean. Listen, I'm not rich by any stretch, but I have a stable job and, you know, I don't have to wonder where certain things are coming from or how bills are getting paid, so I'm pretty lucky. And I don't think folks realize how lucky they are when they can do that, especially in a situation like this. I mean, how many families just in our state alone are concerned about eviction over the winter? And winter is getting ready to start soon. I mean, it's just really horrible. I'm hoping that with the new administration, we have more guidance on the things we can do every day to make everybody's life better. You know, I mean, maybe it's my hippy dippy (laughs) attitude towards, you know, can't we make this world a place where we all want to be? But I don't know. Trump kind of fucked me up on everything, to be honest with you. Well, if you like want to get me enraged, especially as a teacher, like. People always take people always yeah. make jokes about Southerners like, oh, the schools closed just because, you know, they're afraid of snow. And it's like, bitch, the schools closed because half of our children don't have winter clothes. Like right. <laughs> our kids are standing out at bus stops at 5 a.m. and they don't have winter coats. So, like, that's a factor in school closures. It's not that Southerners are just weak and afraid of snow. <laughs> okay. It's because right. our children are actually in this position that, like, other like privileged folks in more privileged positions, just it wouldn't even occur to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rage. they don't have the same concerns as other people. No, I agree with you. It's enraging. You know, we should be able to at least provide food and clothing for kids. I don't know why this is even a thing that hasn't been handled, but hopefully it will be. Just got to keep pushing for it. But. Anyway, all right, I want to move on <laughs> and talk. I do want to move on. No, i got to move on. Otherwise, I'm going to wallow in this. No, it's good. All it's good. Talk. I'll get raging. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to back you down from, from the rage handle right now. So um, I also, because we have, yeah, we have 20 minutes, so I've got other stuff to get to. Um, 
but yeah, I wanted to talk about your your Patreon and how folks can can you know be a part of it. Tell oh us my what's God, going on. I I I love Patreon. Like, let me tell you. So I found out about Patreon. I don't know, maybe like six or seven years ago, um, because um, of Lupa, who is um, also a pagan writer and artist. Uh, they're really amazing. They do a lot with like animal remains and reclaimed mm. objects for art. Um, anyway, really, really good stuff. I became Lupa's patron, um, and I was so for many years. And I think folks were kind of getting on that bandwagon around the same time. But now it's it's pretty much everywhere, and it's great. And the reason I love it is because, you know, the internet just can kind of like it's a it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's it's such an opportunity, but it's also a shit show a lot of the time. Um, like you cannot post a blog, share a video, do anything without hate mail in your inbox. Like you just can't yeah. do it. If you're, if you're going to be on the Internet in pretty much any capacity, especially as a woman, like you're going to get shit yeah. on. Um, and so to me, Patreon is this space where I don't like – it's amazing what a dollar paywall will do. Like the goal yeah. was not to like make tons of money and eliminate having to work a nine to five job. The goal was to improve selfishly my own online experience. So like I use the slide yeah. scale model where here's my blogs, here's videos, here's stuff that I don't share generally with the wider public. And by putting that teeny tiny paywall, it's a dollar, the conversation quality goes up. You get folks who really mm -hmm. want to be there and interact. I'm seeing other people's art and their writing. Um, I've got a really nice Discord community where people actually talk um, and they <laughs> actually talk about magic and the occult. And I've learned so much. And I, like, I'm getting so much out of this. The, the additional paycheck is just kind of an added bonus. Um, for a lot of artists and writers, that's how they make their living. I really like the idea of reviving the patron model. Like this is how people got paid, right? And um, in yeah. like early modern Europe, there's this idea that the artist gets to make art and they do so for patrons who fund their work and this is how they make their living. So the world gets art and they get to buy bread. Um, yeah. And I think that that's a worthwhile model for for artists today. So it's cool seeing that revived in this in this contemporary way. Um, so I share yeah. I share some of my painting. I share fiction. I share um, I've been sharing sneak peeks of my book. Um, I make exclusive videos. Um, and my whole thing was not having tiers. Like I wanted it to be sliding scale so that everybody has equal access right. to all things. Partially because I wanted mm -hmm. to be as inclusive as possible and partially because I'm just too lazy to think about, like, oh, what do the $5 people get? Like, that's too hard. Um, yeah. I wanted to just be able to share and post whatever I wanted. Um, but yeah. it's, been, it's been great because you immediately eliminate trolling. You immediately eliminate uh -huh. sexual harassment. Like, all of those things are just gone in my life now. And it means that I can wow. focus on just writing yeah it means that i can just focus on writing a blog cuz like if i post a blog to, to 
Tapathios or to Thorn the Witch or whatever, that's great, but I'm going to get hate in my inbox. And a lot of the times it's just not worth it. But if I post to Patreon, yeah. instead what I'm going to get is 30 people who actually want to talk about smart things. Why not just yeah. do that? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you're you're also still doing your YouTube channel, which is mm-hmm. free and and open to everybody. And I have to tell you, I really love it. I've I've gone back and watched older videos that you've done. New, you know, your new stuff. I was watching the one you put out this morning, um, and I really enjoy the way you present your content. And yeah, so how do people, but before I go to that, how do people find your Patreon page? If you go to patreon.com, my username is Thorn the Witch. That's pretty much my handle everywhere except for Twitter. If you search Thorn the Witch, Uh it should come up. If you also go to thornthewitch.com, there's a link there for Patreon. So if you're curious, um, you can give it a go. Um, and what's cool is like, you can subscribe, you can, it's very easy to unsubscribe. So if you get there and it's not quite your thing, like it's total, like it's totally not weird or awkward. Like you come and go as you will. Um, it's not uh-huh. a big deal. So, um, that's, that's, that's very cool. cool. Uh, if you just search Thorn the Witch, you'll be good to go. Excellent. Um, the other question I had was, when do you think your book is coming out? The new one? Uh, hopefully September 2021. Uh, it's kind of a push um, just because, you know, releases with publishers are often around like catalogs. What's the marketing budget? How much space? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there's lots of factors that go yeah. into deciding when a book is released. I'm hoping that it yeah. will be September um, just because if there's a vaccine, tra-la-la, I will be in the UK in September, and it would be really cool to oh. be in London when it comes – like, I just have this fantasy about being there with a book release. So I'm hoping for September. Nice. Um, but if not, it will be, it will be um, shortly thereafter, so in time for the holiday season for sure. Is there something coming up in England that you wanted to be – that you wanted to be there or is it just, just to be there? Uh, what's coming up in England is me and Jason Mankey drinking whiskey um, and <laughs> tooling around London. Yeah. So I, so I didn't have, like I had a courthouse wedding and Matt and I didn't have a honeymoon and this was going to be our honeymoon. Like he's never been overseas. So I was like, get your passport immediately. I have to fix this. Right. Um, we decided that yeah. that would be way more fun than, like a wedding. Um, so originally this is going to be our honeymoon. And then Jason and Ari Mankey, who are the two like best humans in the world, they were planning a trip anyway. And Ari is just like a superior planner. So I was like, let me piggyback on all of your efforts. And she was just like, yes, <laughs> please talk to Jason about witchcraft history. So I don't have to be bored listening to him. Um, so wow. that was the plan. It's like, we were, we we're all going to go. Um, so there's wow. no like event per se, but I yeah. will be intoxicated. So who knows what could happen? <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I know that you know Mystic South. If everything goes well, I, I'm expecting to see everybody at Mystic South this year. Hopefully, so hopefully we get the vaccination in time for all of that. I'm sure we will. It'll be interesting to see what happens after that, but. 
Yeah, you and Jason in a room is pretty spectacular. <laughs> he's, having, he's pretty great. Uh, yeah, it is. It is spectacular, and I enjoy it. Um, but, you know, I also wanted to talk to you about your latest YouTube video about journaling. Sure. Because journaling is a is something I have an issue with because, and I have mentioned to you, you know, I saw your video about fountain pens, and I'm like, oh, I love pens. I'm a pen freak. The problem yeah. is my handwriting is shit. And it seems like it would be such a waste on somebody like me who actually loves pens anyway. And, you know, I've always wanted a fountain pen. I've always wanted to learn calligraphy. It's just one of those things I don't have time to do. I think it's a real art form. I think it's a lost art form. Um, You have beautiful penmanship. So, you know, I look at the things you write, and it's, oh, it's very clear, and you can understand everything she's saying. And I look at my handwriting, and I'm like, it looks like a serial killer did it. So how do I get past, like, I mean, truly, though, it's it's frightening. Sure. And I want to, like, write things and have them be legible, including to me, because sometimes, yes, even my own handwriting eludes me. So sure. please give me any kind of tips or whatever, yeah. Hell yeah. So first off, most people hate their handwriting. Like I think this is the most common concern that I hear. Um, And a few things about that. Some practical, some just kind of emotional. Like emotionally, I want to say getting your thoughts out of your brain. Like there's so many wonderful things about keeping a journal, keeping magical records that are more important than looking pretty. So like if you hate your handwriting and this goes for folks who like maybe they have they have particular abilities that make writing by hand physically impossible or kind of needlessly difficult anyway like find another way whether it is voice recording or vlogging like find a way to record your thoughts it's okay if your handwriting is shitty or if you don't want to write by hand at all so that's like point number 1 fuck handwriting mm-hmm. point number 2 okay. kind of getting to the practical stuff Handwriting is a skill. I think we have this idea that it's like inborn, but your handwriting will improve the more you do it. So like my handwriting is pretty good right now, but it's way better than it was five years ago because I started writing more. So I think if we thought about handwriting the same way we think of like playing a piano or painting or something, and we realize that people who do it all the time who practice at it, tend to be better than people who don't do those things. Like stop thinking of it in terms of talent. Like it will get better if you do it more. I promise that's just true. Third point that's also practical is people use shitty tools. Like (laughs) you should absolutely get the fountain pen because fountain pens are designed. First of all, they're designed for cursive. They're designed for long form writing And it's because they work by capillary action, which means that all you have to do is touch the pen to the paper and ink flows. Whereas a ballpoint pen requires you to use lots of tiny muscles in your hand to put that hurts your hand. It hurts your fingers. Mm -hmm. If your handwriting sucks and your hand cramps, it's because you're using a piece of trash. And like some are better than others. Okay. But like sometimes it's the tool. And this was something that I really came to appreciate as a guitar teacher So, like, one thing that would Uh happen, especially with kids coming into play, is their parent gets them 
the first act guitar that costs $40, but the strings are an inch off of the fretboard. The kid physically can't push the strings down. They can't make the pretty noises. What are the odds that that kid is going to enjoy guitar lessons? It's zero. Not, like, yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Zero. So like your kid is going to be more successful if you are able to invest in an instrument that's actually pleasurable for them. And the same thing is true with writing. If you don't like your pen, and it doesn't have to be a fountain pen, um, but if you don't like your utensils, if they don't make you excited, if you think your journal is ugly or you hate that color or you don't like, like whatever, get yourself a nice set of felt tips or whatever. Find something that's comfortable yeah. that makes you excited. You will want to write more. Those are kind of like my three big things right off the bat. Fourth thing I'm going to throw in there because I just thought about it is thinking about your grip. Um, we don't really teach how to hold pens and pencils anymore. And that grip that kids are often taught when they are taught is really like designed again for fountain pens and not for ballpoints. So it's, it's a little strange. And if your hand cramps, that's also why. Um, but feel huh. free to adjust your hand and how you hold your, your pen and pencil. Um, I think we have this idea that like we're supposed to be uncomfortable, but if your body, and this is true when you're working out too, if your body is in pain when you're doing the thing, that means that you need to not be doing that thing. <laughs> like find, find a workaround. And that might mean yeah. a different grip. That might mean a grip that only applies to you. And like if somebody teases you for how you hold your pen, then fuck them. <laughs> like, those and there are, you those go. are my like fast and dirty tips. And you need a fountain pen and like I will send you one because this is like who I am in the world. Like you need one. Obviously. I mean, do you have recommendations for, for people who are first going to like really get into this and and basically, you know, put these these suggestions into effect? I mean, I love the fact that you said um, it's a skill. Um, and I love the fact that you said I am probably using a bad implement, and I am using a bad implement, and I can see the way, and I'm doing it right now. I'm actually holding the pen to see how bad my grip is and to see how uncomfortable it is. And you're absolutely right, and it's not something I thought of at all. So I'm well, really yeah, glad you, got, you said that. You got lots of teeny tiny muscles in your hand, and just like lifting weights, they need to be warmed up and stretched. So, like, hmm. you want to, before a long writing session, like, you know, roll your wrists and, you know, massage your fingers. And, like, there are various kinds of exercises that you can do to warm up those muscles and strengthen them. Kind of like, um, I mean, your husband's a musician, right? Kind of like what guitar players yeah. and drummers will do to, to get their hands yeah. warmed up and piano players and really everybody, right? Um, look yeah. at, look at, um, Anything you can find about how musicians warm up their bodies often also applies to writers. It's all about didn't think about that teeny tiny muscles. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh! And you're, well, you're a hell you're, yeah. You're a musician, so I forgot. You know, because yes, I, I, I think, think about as... <laughs> all of my analogies are about music. I was just like so traumatized yeah. by music school. Like, let me tell everybody about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything comes down to music for me. <laughs> I understand. I went to a jazz college. I understand. Oh, yeah. You think pagans are mean? Uh-uh. Music students are mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Oh, God. It's so true. 
I didn't even think about that. And I went to that school. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate all of these suggestions. And I actually feel like, you know, because I didn't think of any of what you just said, these, these four things. Um, but, yeah, the last three, I definitely think I need to get a better implement, relax, you know, do more actual finger exercises, and I'm looking to improve my handwriting because I think journaling is really important, you know. I don't have I – I want a place to put my spells that when I'm dead, other people can read them and understand what the fuck I was saying. I think it's important. Sure. So – I'm going to definitely try that. And I know you are a a big promoter of journal it, put it in there. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it doesn't have to be, again, learning this in a classroom environment, not all kids can physically write. Not all people can physically sit there at a desk, you know, with a pen. Um, Not all, not all brains work that way. So I want to emphasize too, that there are, there are alternatives. The point is not, like if you if you love books and you can your goal is to generate a beautiful book, you can absolutely do that. But there are other ways to accomplish the same goals. There are ways to develop reflexivity and to develop that kind of like self introspection. Um, I I like you know I'm a vlogger right so like turn on a camera keep yeah. a video log. Um, create art. I know lots of witches who they keep journals, but they're not full of text. They do um, a lot of really expressive stuff just with paint or with collage is a really effective way. If you've ever made like a vision board, you can kind of apply that strategy to really anything. Like how did you feel about this ritual experience you have? Can you represent that with color? Um, That can be Mm -hmm. just as effective as sitting there and writing about it long form. Damn. That's true. I didn't think about that. Wow. This is why you're a teacher. Record keeping for all. <laughs> no, I mean, well, but even children you know, to teach you what you don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, like, when you, I think it's easier to come up with solutions to things when you're forced into environments where you have to. So like a lot of these mm. strategies, like I would never have come up with if I hadn't worked with like nine-year-olds in a classroom, right? Or 17 and 18-year-olds in a classroom. Like there are certain situations yeah. and I've been really surprised over the years by how applicable they are to coven leadership um, and writing yeah. and being a witch and a witchcraft teacher. Um for a long yeah. time, I was really like, when I first became a classroom teacher, as with a lot of classroom teachers, it was because I kind of didn't feel like I had anywhere else to go and the schools were always hiring, you know, <laughs> like, and that's the joke with English majors, what wow. are you going to do, be a teacher? And the answer is yes, because that's all we're told we can be. Um, and getting to that classroom environment, being kind of bitter about it, but falling in love with the children and being like, oh, yeah. wait, there's like a whole skill set here that is going to apply in every other work environment that I can think of for myself. Um, That whole experience has been so valuable in my coven leadership. Like who knew? Listen, I was an English major myself and yes, my family thought I would become a teacher. And I said, no, 
I want to do accounting instead. So yeah, <laughs> the one degree, I have a music business minor, um, you know, and I'm doing, I mean, I have enough talent to correct other people's mistakes on paper. That's about it. Um, but, you know, I'm really happy. I like being in a service industry, which I am in my mundane life, and um, I enjoy it, and I'm kind of paid okay for it, so I'm pretty lucky, even in spite of a pandemic. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've never been the type of person who wanted to be a coven leader. I don't think it's for everybody. I think it's a very specific calling, like being a teacher. So, you know, I am... Um, I'm very appreciative of, you know, the teachers in my life. They are few and far between, but you're one of them, which is why I'm particularly fond of you. But oh, I'm so you. glad you came and – oh, no, you're fantastic. I'm really glad you came and spent this hour with me. I appreciate you so much. Um, you as well. And – oh, well, my pleasure, of course. And well, you've had, you've had so much fun. I'm sorry. sorry, I'm just like talking over you. Let me talk. <laughs> I'm just saying you, okay, you've had so you much talk. content that you put out. I mean, it was mad on yesterday, right? Like there's just, yeah. you always have something going on multiple times a week sometimes. Like that's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I felt it was important to get people, you know, on the air, especially because so many folks lost out on seeing people. And, you know, I've, I, I'm trying to squeeze in as many shows before Yule as possible. Traditional Wicca, if you don't have the book, you can still pick it up. Um, and Yay. you can join Thorn's Patreon. Um, check out thornthewitch.com. Uh, you can find Thorn on most social media platforms um, mm-hmm. and on YouTube, of course. And I highly recommend your videos to everybody who will, like, let me say it which is everybody, because I don't shut up anyway. Um, but, Thorn Mooney, you're fabulous. I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you. Be safe out there, everybody. All right. Okay, guys, I will see you this coming week. I think we have another three or four shows coming up. I'll keep putting them out on Facebook and Twitter. Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye.